Hey everyone, I've got some exciting news. We're unlocking Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2 and making it available for everyone on our public feed. But if you love our work and want to be the first to listen to Season 3 as it's being released, head over to Patreon. There you'll find break-free versions of past SDS9 episodes, Southpaw and Fight Study, and our other bonus show, Fighters Brew. You'll also find our Liberation Martial Arts program, which is exclusive to our supporters. It's for beginner and advanced martial artists, as well as people just looking for fitness and rehabilitation. It's a gentle, wholesome, and embodied approach to training. Lots of individuals, trainers, families, friends, collectives, activists, and organizations are already using it. So if you want to support our work and get early access to all our great content, including Season 3 of SDS9, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod and join our community. You can also go to southpawpod.com and find the links there or on our show notes. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. This is Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2, where we analyze Deep Space Nine and Star Trek from a political and historical lens, episode by episode. I'm watching DS9 with fresh eyes as a non-fan, and Scott is the veteran Trek fan who knows more about all things Star Trek. We are discussing Season 2 of DS9, Episode 15, Paradise. Scott, can you tell us about this episode? Yes, of course. So Paradise is about, well, you know, two dice, you know, for the game <laughs> Craps, where, no, I'm sorry, let's gamble on whether we like this episode. Who knows? <laughs> O'Brien and Cisco are on the Rio Grande, which is a runabout. They are doing recon. Miles and Ben talk about parenting and life. They're looking for an M-class planet to maybe start a colony in the Aurelius system. They see that on this M-class colony, there is human life on the planet. They beam down, and electricity doesn't seem to work. They notice this concept uh, called a duonetic field, which basically inhibits, inhibits energy flow, almost like a EMP pulse sort of thing. And as it happens, and this will happen in a couple episodes we're dealing with on these monster of the week sort of vibes, stop just where you are. They're told to turn around and they are being held at bow point. <laughs> Literally. Literally. And the people there were on a journey destined for the Gamulon V many years ago. When their ship developed life support problems, they landed and found that on this planet, no electronics really work. 
and they have made sort of a an agrarian society, and some of them seem to have taken a Luddite stance, if you will. Everyone works for their supper. They're, you're like, oh, this is like a conservative utopia, right? Nothing could go wrong, especially with the complex leftist writing that is Star Trek in the 90s. You'd be surprised. One, a popular a popular thing that is said is you'd be surprised how sweeter the food is when you work for it together. Though some are excited at the idea of meeting the Federation and hearing about current trends and sports and clothing styles and all that. And that's when we are really introduced to the main leader, Alexis, who seems keen on keeping this community and also notes that the two strong men, that is, Miles and Cisco, could be good for the squad, while they also lament that they have lost people on their journey as they are dealing with, you know, they're not dealing with the tech that is normally, that we deal with for the Federation. And also throughout the episode, they keep on saying, take off those uniforms, you know? And then we see that Dax and Kira, they can't flag the Rio Grande. They're confused because Dax wants Ben to come back to play poker, which apparently he sucks at. He has no poker face. Big surprise. Uh, Back on the planet, Ben finds some books that Elixis had written prior to their transition to this planet. And she wrote basically polemics on how technology and the reliance of it is at the root of society's ills and is a mistake. Miles wonders if he can possibly manipulate the duonetic field because the duonetic field is a type of energy stopping the energy, so maybe they can make the energy do the energy to Jimmy Rigg a, a communication. And uh, as they're dealing with a community member is dying, from something that modern medicine could easily fix. And they say that three people have already perished from this ex- this particular malady and that people have died on this mission. And Alexis has a stern talking to Ben and says, look, look, this is how we live, and you have to live like this. And as that is happening, Kira Dax, find, they're able to find an empty Rio Grande that seems to be just going going rogue and uh jake and miles work they start working the field and working for everything and and then they find out that there's punishment Uh, uh, someone who is a thief is finally taken out of what looks like a tiny milk crate solitary cabin hole in the heat as punishment things are not what they seem at night ben is visited by a a young woman from from the group who tries to make an advance. Uh, Alex sends, had sent her the way to, to sway them. Uh, ben notes that, oh, I see that Alexis had wrote all of this before their crash and coincidentally found a planet that didn't allow energy. Hmm. Dax and Kira... They, they, they finally are able to rope the Rio Grande. It's in a warp situation. It's confusing, but it does work. And then 
back on the planet. Alexis finds out that, that Miles has been trying to fix things around. So she puts Ben, because he's the leader, in the hole for Miles' actions and is, keeps on saying, take, take, off, take off those outfits. You're, you're part of us now. We're the farm squad. And, and Alexis says this is wasting time. Um, and they, they could have just saved every, they could have saved the sick person if Miles wasn't focusing on trying to get them out there. Uh, Dax and Kira finally see that the Rio Grande was being sent on a course for destruction. Hmm. I think I just said hmm a lot this episode, but that, you know, <laughs> that's okay. I'm living my best life. Ben is in solitary. He leaves solitary. Alexis offers him water if he will just change his clothes. But come on, Sam, do you think he changes his clothes? <laughs> no. He does not. He chooses solitary. Miles asks the engineer of the group for the community to look the other way while Miles looks to find what is causing the energy issues. He is able to make this cool, like, makeshift compass thingy with like a conch shell and some other stuff. And he does find a dampening device that is probably causing all this issue. And then, then he sees that he is being hunted by Elixis's son, and he escapes. The duonetic field was, in fact, created by Elixis so she could force and create her Luddite utopia. She always planned to make this community. She's a little delusional, but she truly believes what she is trying to do. And she was willing to let people die for her cause, and they did. She did it all for the community. And she decides that she and her son will pay for their crimes. And uh, then everyone's like, hey, hop on board. Let's go back. And everyone's like, no, nah, we like it here. So in the future, we find out through Jake Sisko, there's still standardized tests. God damn it. Mm -hmm. Aptitude tests and IQ tests and standardized tests all need to be abolished. So it's sad to see that it's still existing in that future. Which is totally illogical because I do feel like if Vulcans and androids were involved, they would point out that even from a completely logistical standpoint, the tests don't prove. In fact, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I'm retconning that that's not true. Why else would there be the Kobayashi Maru, which is a test that is intrinsically designed to fail to see how people react in impossible situations this is a thumbs down for me dog a note to our listeners if you love the southpaw project please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on patreon this will give you access to exclusive bonus content like early releases of southpaw deep space nine our fictional narrative podcast fighters brew break free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now. Bonus articles, Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com.
it does seem like lazy writing, right? They just were like, oh, um, we need to have a scene about fatherhood and school and parenting. Let's just do a typical thing from any other TV show at the time, right? And then they just mapped it onto this, even though it doesn't really fit into this world. So yeah, thumbs down. It seemed like lazy writing. And as we even talk about the problems of standardized tests, this was huge in the 90s, whether standardized tests were working and charter schools were really starting to be uh, championed. And in fact, in, in New York City, the, the Black Union and group of firefighters is, are called the Vulcan Society. And in fact, they stopped the test that was being used for New York City firefighters to be changed for, they stopped a whole couple of years of people joining the fire department because they were like, we don't know how to fix this test, but this test is inadequate to make sure that everybody has an equitable way of passing. Uh, and I bring it up because there's the Vulcan Society, which I think is pretty cool, and points out that standardized tests, they're bad. They teach you about tests. They don't teach you about knowledge or abstract thought. Now this episode reminds me of people who take social media and internet breaks and they feel way better without it. Some people have gone back to old flip phones and feel happier that way. Some people try to plan internet social media breaks as a consistent routine. I know lots of people who've given up on all social media and they don't miss it at all. So even in our own small way, we're seeing people pulling away from technology and being happier, or at least finding their right level of technology that suits them. So they're trying to find a balance. So there is a point to be made there. But ultimately, it seems like it's an episode about cults and how cults often have isolated communes with a charismatic leader. So I read it more as that than Luddites. Yeah, there is that aspect of anti-technology, but Luddites actually were anti-technology because they were pro-worker. They thought it was going to mm -hmm. take their job. So that was how their pro-worker beliefs manifested themselves, right? Versus this, this is more not having to do with being for the worker, right? It's more about cults. There's also similarities I saw with cultish settler groups in the quote-unquote American frontier days. Mm -hmm. where settler wagon train leaders were looking for their Garden of Eden and Promised Land and would use sometimes trickery or religious arguments to get people along for the ride. And sometimes they went somewhere and they all died, you know, sometimes because they ended up somewhere where it was really cold, conditions that was too harsh to survive in. So there was a lot of stories like that. So I think there's some of that going on. But also there was some parallel thinking with that because back then those same people they were looking for their Garden of Eden too, right? So this story also had sex as forbidden fruit, going back to the Garden of Eden similarities. And also cults often have weird sexual relationship stuff going on, which often reinforces patriarchy, which we also saw in this episode. That could have been addressed even more, but there was like a lot of these ideas that didn't really get addressed a lot. It was just kind of like this high concept. But I do agree with them about one thing. Wearing the same thick and now sweaty Federation uniforms 
over and over is kind of gross. I see the symbolism. I see what they were trying to do there. It's part of that non-resistance resistance. But, you know, <laughs> if we are to believe this was really happening, man, those uniforms had to have been getting gross. Unless they had like antifungal technology or... <laughs> But then why would that why would there be Garrick, you know? So they're willing to be stinky for a cause, I get it. Me too. I'm willing to to be a little stinky for the right reason. But back to the cults. What would be considered a cult in the nineties wouldn't even be a cult anymore. Not today. The religious culty anti-vax anti-medicine movement is now mainstream and represents nearly half of the US. So this episode probably hits different for them who are like, I agree with Alexis. And she's probably not even a Trumper, but would be equivalent to a moderate, modern right winger who listens to Dr. Oz and Goop. Yeah, because she's not even like an analog for, you know, a Ted Kaczynski or something, because again, her Luddism is really used as a plot device, not as really her saying much. She's really into herself, not so much into really creating a great society, in my opinion. She's using it as a way, though there are a lot of Ted Kaczynski uh, apologists in in modern day, Ted Kaczynski being the Unabomber who was, who was very against technology and was active in the 90s. Yes, there was even a whole Ted Kaczynski renaissance. Maybe there was some kind of series about it. I'm not sure, but a lot of online leftists, I'm not going to say which political camp, but let's say those of a certain political camp, even famous ones with their own podcasts were making Ted Kaczynski apologia online and thought he was cool in some ways. So yeah, to your point. Now, we also have Ben Sisko doing the non-resistance resistance thing that milk toast liberals and centrists probably love, going back to even the uniform, but also just taking all the punishments they gave or just silently suffering. Scott, tell me this changes over time. Tell me Ben Sisko doesn't stay like this. He changes. He grows. <laughs> You're like, how do I not give spoilers? He grows. But it is consistent with O'Brien's character to be like, fuck this shit, let's fight, right? And I think there's also intentionality from the writers where they were like, we don't want to make that type of stereotype of like the black guy who's, you know, militant. Let's make the white guy like that. But I guess that might have been the feeling of the time that that was wrong. But today is probably like, no, we want to see that, right? That's why so many times when like Disney or some other mainstream studio is too milquetoast to make a militant black character the good guy and they make them the bad guy, you still have people now cheering for that bad guy, right? So the atmosphere of entertainment and politics has changed since then. So I think done again, it would have been different. Absolutely. Now the episode seemed like it was trying to present some deep idea, like I said, high concept about technology and the Garden of Eden and cults and charismatic leaders and whatnot. And when it is high concept like this, when it is dealing with big ideas, 
it's either going to blow your mind or it's going to miss, right? Because you're like, here's this thing. And uh, either the thing works or the thing doesn't. A lot of it depends on how well they execute. And secondly, how new this thought is. For me, this missed because it wanted to be deep, but it wasn't. And the ending just made it even less impressive. Like the ending made kind of a wannabe deep story even weaker because it just kind of ended and they try to cram what should have taken like, you know, more time to develop into like a very quick ending. There should have been more discussion, more emotions, more tension, more buildup. And then it just ended with like two kids staring off and that's supposed to be meaningful and deep when it was just kind of like weird because they never focused on those kids in the first place. So if they had foreshadowed and like kind of put that as teasers throughout the episode, then it would have had a bigger payoff. But it just, yeah. Scott, <laughs> tell me what you think. I gave this episode a two. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, this one was one of those 90s episodes. And I think even like network TV today where it's one of those episodes that tries to be deep, but it's actually a very generic episode. It's like a generic high concept episode that we've seen a lot. And we've seen it executed even better than this before. Scott, can you tell us a bit about the next episode? The next episode is called Shadow Play. Mystery abounds in the Gamma Quadrant. Until then... Bye.